Today on Blue 58, the Packers are on the field in Green Bay, minus one notable player. Should the Packers be trading Josh Jones or even thinking about it? Or how did they even get to this point? We'll talk about that then. What are our expectations for Mike Pettin? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode I don't know what the weather's like where you are, but it is cold here. It's gross, and it can't decide if it's going to be spring or not. It looked a lot better than that in Green Bay today for the first OTA practice, and I was very, very jealous. Wished I could have been there uh, maybe next year. We'll see. It would have been fun to be there for OTAs, and OTA practices being open is, is fun too, and I hope everybody who was there enjoyed that little bit of spring football that they got to see. Not on the field for the Packers today, though. Josh Jones, the third-year safety is requesting a trade, reportedly. Uh, Sometimes these things... Well, sometimes maybe a player says they want a trade, and then they get blowback, they get a little bit of internal feedback from the organization, and then they walk it back. I wouldn't be surprised if that's what happens here. I wouldn't be surprised if Josh Jones sticks with that and says, you know what? No, I, I do want a trade. I want to be out of Green Bay. In any event, he is staying away from organized team activities. So what do we make of all this? Well, first I think we need to address a couple, well, one in particular narrative that I see out there. There are variations of this, but the broad strokes are that Josh Jones has never really gotten a chance to show what he can do. I think that's not really true. Um, He played just over 500 snaps last year. That was top 10 on the team. Uh, Down the stretch, he played a ton. Never played less than half the snaps in the game. In eight of the last nine games he played in 2018, he played more than 70% of the snaps. So even if he didn't get on the field early in the season, once he did, he was playing a lot. And he had a significant role. And an even bigger role as a rookie in 2017, third on the team in defensive snaps that year. But he hasn't done a lot with those snaps. And that's really, I think, where the rubber meets the road with Josh Jones. Even if he's not getting consistent opportunities, like he can't count on playing, you know, 50-60% of the snaps on a week-to-week basis, though he has at some points, that, you know, really beside the point. Even if he hasn't gotten regular, consistent playing time, he has gotten a lot, and he hasn't done a lot with that time that he's gotten. Whether it's as a deep safety a box safety, more hybrid linebacker type, whatever the Packers have done with him, he hasn't really given them a lot of reason to continue to play him one or to plan around him for the future. And that's, I think, where the the problem here is between Josh Jones and the Packers. It's one thing to say, you know, I've been just haven't gotten on the field yet. I'm still waiting for an opportunity to, to show what I can do. It's another to have it be super clear that you're not a big part of the team's future. How do we know that's not true for Josh Jones? Well, this past offseason, they spent a lot of money to sign one safety. They spent a first-round pick on another. If you had big plans for Josh Jones being a significant contributor on your defense, you probably wouldn't have done one or both of those things. Josh Jones can see what's the situation here. He knows, okay, probably not a starting role here in Green Bay, at least not as a safety. 
and probably not the top, top role as a linebacker. So what do you do? I can't blame him for requesting a trade, but then things get tricky. So say the Packers agree, and they probably do, that they would like to get something for Josh Jones. What is that something and how do they get it? Well, we're years away from letting him walk and hoping that they get some sort of compensatory pick. So that's completely off. Just cutting him outright is probably not the best option right now either. So you are probably looking for the trade. That's probably what both sides here are interested in. The problem is, why should anyone trade for Josh Jones? And when I say trade for Josh Jones, the implication there is trade something meaningful for Josh Jones. If you think he's on the outs in Green Bay, why don't you just wait it out? Why don't you just say, hmm, we'll see what we can get and we'll put in a waiver claim? Because the trade market is not going to be super robust. If it's true, and it is, that Josh Jones has not been a super, well, impactful force on defense for the Packers, it's hard to see anybody else paying the price that an impactful force would command. So you're getting, let's say, a distressed asset here, a depreciated asset, not something that you're buying high on. When you're signing players in free agency, at least during the early part of free agency, you're buying at their absolute highest. That's not where the Packers and Josh Jones are here. I think your range is something like Brett Hundley to Ty Montgomery or something like that. Brett Hundley is probably the best case scenario for the Packers. They got a sixth round pick for Brett Hundley, and they got it in the next closest draft. So they got more than a seventh round pick, more than a conditional pick, and they got it sooner than later. That's pretty good. Ty Montgomery, less good. They don't get a conditional pick for him, so that's a pick they're definitely getting, but it's going to be a seventh rounder, and it's going to be for the next year's draft. So, applied to Josh Jones, this would be something like a 2020 sixth round pick or a 2021 seventh round pick. That's probably a reasonable return. Now, I had people interacting with me online saying it could be something like a fifth round pick. Even had one guy suggest perhaps a fourth. That seems, I don't want to say ridiculous, but it seems very optimistic and probably an extreme long shot shot. Somebody is probably bidding against themselves in a way that they shouldn't if they're giving you a fourth or fifth round pick for Josh Jones. However, on the other hand, it only ever takes one person to decide, yep, Josh Jones is worth a fourth round pick for you to get a fourth round pick for Josh Jones. You only have to convince one of 31 people out there that this is what you need to do and you'll get what you're looking for. You probably shouldn't be going out and saying, you know, third rounder or bust, even fourth rounder or bust on Josh Jones. It's not impossible, but set your expectations accordingly. And I think probably a sixth or seventh round pick is probably about the ceiling for what the Packers could expect in return. There is a situation here where the Packers say, you know, our way or the highway, you can either play for us or you can, you know, just sit at home and we're going to hang on to your contract until you decide to show up and play for us. That seems like an unnecessary headache for the Packers. If they really can't, don't see a situation where they can get him on the field, they might as well trade him. Sure, they could force him to show up, 
But last year they showed us they were going to exhaust every other possible option before they put Josh Jones in the field. If that's really how they feel with him, just make the move now and get rid of him. This is kind of tangentially related to the other topic I wanted to talk about today, sticking on the defensive side of the ball. A few episodes back, we did an episode about who's facing pressure in the Packers organization. And I did a long and I thought fun, but also very tortured metaphor about the Packers as something resembling a country, a government, something like that. Packers-topia. And I concluded that the people facing the most pressure in the Packers organization were Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. Since then, I have been inundated with emails and messages asking follow-up questions about that ranking. And by inundated, well, it's really just more emails than, than I can count. That's not entirely accurate because I can count to two. It's been two. Two is the amount of messages that I've gotten. But it's worked out really well because one of the questions has been about the offensive side of the ball. One of them has been about defense. We had one question about the, the Packers' new offensive coordinator, Nathaniel Hackett. You know who you are if that's, that ask, you ask that question. We'll be dealing with that one on the next episode of Blue 58. So stay tuned for that. But listener Rudy writes in, with something that I thought was a very good question that I think we should spend the balance of our time together today discussing. It's about Mike Pettin. And it's not really a question as much as a series of statements and pontifications and, and open wonderings, but I, I would like to read it to you in its entirety because it's a, a long question, but I think it's a good one and it raises a lot of good points. So Rudy, in responding to my conclusion that Matt LaFleur is facing the most pressure, followed closely by Aaron Rodgers. Quote, I still think it's Pettin, but the reason I think that might be flawed. I'm thinking of pressure along the lines of expected return on investment. I think it's very likely that A-Rod and the offense live up to the investment. He's just that good. But the defense, I do expect a top five given the investment. I'm thinking both free agency and draft capital. We've invested our top picks in all recent drafts on defense. I expect to be among the best. Perhaps here's the data I'm missing. Where do the Packers rank on money spent on defensive players? Where do they rank on draft capital spent on defensive players? How about a SAF salary slash draft hybrid? If our investment investments excuse me, are in the middle of NFL rankings, then perhaps the projection should be the middle of the league. And then my logic is flawed and there's minimal pressure. But if the investments are near the top of the league, then pressure should be on the defense. End quote. First, really good question and fair rebuttal if you want to call it a rebuttal. Let's talk about pressure first and foremost. I defined it in that episode as more or less expectations or attention plus consequence. And I, reflecting on that, I kind of sort the Packers' top five in terms of pressure, into these tiers. Matt LaFleur at the very top, and then a gap. Then Aaron Rodgers, and then a slightly bigger cap gap. Then Mike Pettin and Brian Gutekunst together. Another gap, and then Mark Murphy. Now, those gaps, don't misunderstand me, are small. And when looking at those five, the total pressure on them is miles greater than anyone else in the organization. So even with those gaps, I don't think the total diff distance from LaFleur to Pettin is that much. At a certain point, we're probably just splitting hairs here, right? And I think that's the case here. I When I say that Matt LaFleur 
probably is facing the most pressure in the Packers organization. That doesn't mean Mike Pettin is facing no pressure or even that much less pressure. I just think if you had to pick somebody who's facing the most, I think it's probably Lafleur. To be sure, Pettin is facing pressure here. He needs to make a big jump this year. But assuming that Rudy and I largely agree, and I think we do, let's talk about some of the stuff that he brought up. I like the question or the general thrust of his reasoning there about talking about expectations in terms of resources spent. How do the resources the Packers are spending on defense compared to how they're spending on offense and vice versa? Where do the Packers rank among their competitors throughout the league? I'd like to focus uh, focus our resources on two specific areas. The resources the Packers have spent in the draft and in free agency. And we'll measure those purely by draft picks spent and dollars spent. We'll get to the dollars. That's a little bit that's a little bit harder to define, but we'll define that when we get there. Let's start with the draft. I'd like to focus exclusively on the first four rounds of the draft. In particular, I'd like to focus on the first four rounds of the draft since 2015. Why 2015? Well, we're looking at expectations for Mike Pettin here, right? So I wanted to include all the players who could conceivably have been drafted by the Packers in that span and still be on their rookie deals going into this year. I don't care so much about guys that are on their second contracts because you're not really a draft pick at that point. You're, well, you're something else, obviously. The Packers have decided they want to keep you around and they've retained your services through a free agent contract, blah, blah, blah. You figured that out. So in that span, there have been 361 players drafted league-wide in rounds one through four. Among those players drafted, a lot of them have gone on to become members of the Green Bay Packers. The Packers rank third in the league in that span, in just raw draft picks spent. They've drafted 16 players since 2015 on defense in the first four rounds. Only Cleveland and Indianapolis, who have both drafted 17 players, have spent more. That's a lot. Comparing this to league-wide, the Packers are one of six teams who have used 15 or more picks in that under those conditions in that span. That full list is Cleveland, Indianapolis, the Packers, Oakland, Tampa, and Baltimore. On average, the league has spent 11.28 draft picks per team in the first four rounds of the draft since 2015. So the Packers are spending an above-average amount of draft picks on the defensive side of the ball in the span that we're looking at. But it's not just how many, it's what those draft picks are worth. If you are interested in the draft at all, you're probably somewhat familiar with the draft value charts, draft pick value charts, common throughout the league. I've come up with a sort of altered version of that to sort of weight the amount of picks that the Packers 
or the, the value of the picks the Packers have spent on defense in this time period. Spoiler alert, they also rank third in the league here. But the difference between themselves and a couple other key teams, I think, is notable here, too. Once again, the Packers fall just behind the Cleveland Browns and Indianapolis Colts in the total value of draft picks that they've, they've spent in the draft. And I'm not going to bother you with the details of exactly the formula I used. I don't think that's relevant. But the difference in just one pick between what the Browns have spent and what the Packers have spent is roughly a top 10 overall pick, probably top five overall pick. It's significant, but not a ton, especially considering that the Browns have spent just one more draft pick on defense since 2015 than the Packers. What does that tell us? Well, I think it shows that while the Packers aren't spending as many super high draft picks as the Browns, on average, they're still drafting defense very high and maybe almost as high as the Browns are. And that's saying something considering how bad the Browns have been since 2015 or so. It's also worth noting that compared to the league average, the Packers have spent almost 50% more in terms of just the raw value of their picks than the average team in the league. So the Packers, as Rudy has pointed out accurately, are spending a lot of draft resources on defense, especially in these last couple years. Look back to 2017. The Packers traded out of the first round, but they spent two second round picks on defensive players. In 2018, obviously, they had Jair Alexander in the first and Josh Jackson in the second. And then in 2019, they had two first-round draft picks on defense. That's a lot of resources. That's pretty fair. But in terms of overall money spending, the picture gets a little bit more murky. I looked at two measures of how much cap space the Packers are spending or are, are allocating to their defense. Uh, according to overthecap.com, in just terms of total dollars spent on one side of the ball or the other, the Packers haven't ranked super high on defense in the, the last couple of years. And I'm not going to give you the exact dollar amounts because I don't think it's super relevant. But when they when compared to their peers, the Packers currently rank 28th in defensive spending, which is a spot lower actually than they ranked in 2018. Last year, they ranked 27th in total value spending. In 2017, they ranked 20th in spending on defense. That is a big drop-off from where they were in 2016. In fact, going all the way back to 2013, the last year we have data, the Packers ranked 6th in 2016, 6th in 15. Second in 14 and ninth in 13. So, just in terms of the dollar amount spent, the Packers ranked pretty high up until relatively recently. In fact, right about the time they started investing a whole bunch of draft picks on defense, super, super high draft picks, too. In terms of cap space, it's a little bit of a different story, but not much. Spottrack.com gives you a breakdown of the percentage of the cap that a team spends on offense or on defense. In 2019, the Packers currently have 36% of their cap space allocated to defense. That's way up from last year, 
where the Packers had just 15% of their cap space spent on defense. 36% in 2019, ranks 28th in the league. 15% last year, ranked 32nd. The Packers were spending nothing at all from their cap on defense last year. No one was spending less in terms of a percentage of the, of the dollars. Dating back again to 2013, here's where the Packers rank. In 2017, they were, at, they were 22nd in the league with 31%. In 2016, they were 7th with 38 In 15, they were 5th with 47. In 14, they spent over half their cap, 51% on defense, and again ranked 2nd. In 2013, it was just under 50% at 46. They were 6th. On average, the Packers have ranked in this span 14th in the league in dollars spent on defense and 14.5 in terms of cap space, right around the middle. What do we make about all this? What What is the bottom line here? The Packers have spent a lot in the draft on defense, but don't currently have a ton allocated to the defense cap-wise. That's going to change in the next couple of years. That's going to increase dramatically, probably, as those cap numbers for Zedarius and Preston Smith and Adrian Amos start to go up. We also have to factor in Kenny Clark in there, too. That's his story for a different day. The current bottom line, though, is that the Packers have spent a lot recently in terms of the draft over the last two, three years on defense. That's not news to anybody, but they're among the leaders in the league in what they're drafting there. And though they've signed a lot of guys, it's not affecting their cap a lot currently. That's a long way to go to just get to one question here. What does this mean for expectations? I don't know if I can go all the way to where Rudy was and say I expect a top five defense out of the Packers this year, but I think it's fair to say that expectations are significantly up from where they were a year ago. I think it's fair to grade Mike Pettin on a bit of a first-year curve. You can't give him a complete pass for 2018, but he gets a little bit of a pass, especially considering what the Packers had in terms of cap space and what they didn't do with it. One of the things that's tangentially related to the Josh Jones situation is how bad the Packers safety group was and how little they did to fix it over basically the entire 2018 calendar year. There were a lot of opportunities if the Packers didn't want to play Josh Jones to sign somebody who was better than Josh Jones, or at the very least better than Kentrell Bryce, but the Packers didn't take it. They didn't take those opportunities. Mike Pettin didn't have a lot to work with last year other than his very young players like Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Kevin King, and yes, even Josh Jones. But here we are in the second year of Mike Pettin. What then should the expectations for Pettin and for the Packers defense actually be? I don't think at all saying that top 10-ish is probably reasonable. I think it's important to point out that the Packers are not represented by all 16 of those draft picks that we talked about that they've made on defense in the first four rounds since 2015. A lot of those guys have moved on. Famously, the Packers don't have anybody from their 2015 draft around anymore. And Demarius Randall and Jake Ryan represent at least two of those defensive players. 
That said, the Packers do have a pretty pretty good defensive core. Their young defensive players at this point essentially are Kevin King, Jair Alexander, Josh Jackson, Rashawn Gary, and Darnell Savage. That's their young, new talent. They've also got a few established high-end veterans. Kenny Clark fits that mold, though he is still on a rookie contract. Adrian Amos, Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, those are the guys that the Packers are counting on being big contributors. We're up to 11 guys there if you include, well, 10 guys, if I get my counting hat on, up to 10 guys if we include Mike Daniels in that mix. That's a lot of fairly pedigreed players. That's almost an entire starting lineup of guys that you either were your first or second choice in a given draft year or that you went out of your way to sign in free agency and outbid other people to bring in. All of that with the second year of Mike Pettin seems like a lot of good, but not a lot of necessarily elite. But with a lot of good, a lot of solid foundational players, a lot of guys that are going to elevate you past where you were last year, I think the Packers could be in pretty good shape. What does pretty good shape look like? Well, let's look to the past for a little bit of detail on that. I have long advanced the position that the Packers under Dom Capers were a lot better, sometimes, most of the time, than people gave them credit for. And one season in which they were especially, I think, better than people gave them credit for, especially given how the team overall performed, was 2015. I have talked a lot on the show about DVOA from Football Outsiders. I think it's a good measure of how defenses do overall. If you look at DVOA, the 2015 Packers defense was pretty solid. They ranked ninth overall. And if you do a little bit of weighting, taking some stats into consideration more than others, that bumps them down to 14th. So they're either in the top 10 or comfortably in the top half of the league. One of the things I like about this metric is it gives you a look at where teams rank against the pass, against the run, and how tough their schedule was. If the Packers can duplicate this performance in this year, I think they'll be pretty solid. The Packers in 2015 ranked 6th in pass defense, 19th against the run, and played against the 10th hardest schedule in the league. If the Packers, again, this year were 6th best against the pass and 19th against the run, which sounds bad, but it doesn't really matter all that much, we know the running game is not the most important thing in the world. And they can do it against a schedule that's probably going to be a lot easier than 10th hardest in the league. I think they're going to be in pretty good shape. That may not be the top five defense that Rudy is hoping for, but I think getting to the top 10 and being very close to elite against the pass will be just enough for the Packers to be a very, very good team this year. I hope that's a fair analysis of where Mike Pettin is, and I hope if you're looking at him in light of what the Packers could do in 2019, that gives you a better idea of the sort of pressure he could be up against. I'm not exactly sure how that pressure against Mike Pettin plays itself out. I think like Brian Gutekunst, he has probably at least one more year. He probably has three years total before he really starts facing some heat. 
If the Packers are absolutely abysmal this year, uh, then that's probably a different conversation. But if they're middle of the road or better, Mike Patton probably doesn't face much in the way of actual consequences for, well, poor-ish performance. But if the Packers can be as good a defense as they were in 2015, in a year where their personnel is probably not where they are this year, well, I think they'll be just fine. And I think Mike Pettin would probably be pretty happy with that as well. While I've got you here, I want to talk for a second about a number. That number is 12.5. 12.5 is the amount you're paying us in cents per show if you are a supporter on Patreon.com. 12.5 cents. We figure that if you're supporting us for a dollar a month, that's about what an episode of Blue 58 is, is worth to you. And I think that's a fair amount. We are not a professional show, though I think we're pretty good. And we don't ask for a lot in terms of support from you. However, I do think it's important to support the things that are important to us. And that's something as I've gotten older that I've tried to do more and more financially. And I would just ask, if Blue 58 is important to you, if Blue 58 is something that you enjoy, consider throwing us 12 and a half cents per show. $1 a month at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. If you like what we do, if you like the show, if you think some of our ideas are good, consider supporting us there. 12 and a half cents per show. That's all we ask. That's all I've got for you in this episode. Thank you very much for listening. I really do appreciate everybody who takes the time. If you liked what you'd heard and you want to support us, you can go to patreon.com, but the best way is probably to leave us a review and a rating on iTunes. It does help more people find the show. Like I said, patreon.com slash thepowersweep is the best place. If you want to do financial support for the show, that's a great option there. But we also have a great selection of t-shirts and sweatshirts, which you can find by clicking the shop link at thepowersweep.com. If you've got an idea for the show, an idea, some feedback, some thoughts, drop us a line on social media or by emailing thepowersweep1959 at gmail.com or by finding our contact page at thepowersweep.com. We do appreciate everybody who takes the time to reach out. Every bit of feedback you give us helps us make this show and the Power Sweep better, which furthers our mission of helping more people become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I've been your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.